Hi, everybody, and thanks for joining Conley and me again on our yellow sofa. Today, we want to talk to you about writing things down to help you in your journey with God and in His learning the, the ways that He wants to speak to your heart. We have found just literally writing down the things we hear in prayer, our impressions we get, our images, our dreams. It's so helpful. And yet we've also found over the years that when we talk about journaling to a lot of people, they're just terrified. I've seen grown men just start trembling when they say, don't make me do that. That's something women do. That's Mm. not something manly, which I think is kind of funny. But it is a gift that some people do it better than others. And I have to admit, I'm a writer. I like to write. It was harder for Connolly to start doing it. It's sort of a discipline, but it's extremely helpful. I think some people don't want to start journaling because they feel like they have to keep up a discipline that fills an already busy, busy life. And it's just something that they won't follow through on and they'll feel guilty about it so they don't ever even start. Isn't that the truth? I mean, all of us have a to-do list that's way too long anyway, and all we need is one more thing to put pressure on ourselves. But I do want to keep this biblical as we talk about it. And there's a verse from Habakkuk chapter 2 that says, write down the visions or the revelations that I give you and do it plainly on tablets so that whoever reads it later will be able to run with it. In other words, if you record something, it can be so helpful for somebody else. Like, they're really talking about confirmation here. We're not going to have all these crazy words from God that we're to go out and proclaim and tell people to do. That just doesn't happen very often. And realistically, I think it's an excuse a lot of people give to not journaling and not actively listening to what God might be wanting to say to their heart, because they've heard all these weird stories. We literally knew a man one time who said, if I listen to God, what if he tells me to cut off my hands? And we're going, oh, my word. You know, like, we back all this stuff up with biblical truth. We're we're not going to hear something crazy like that unless we already have mental issues. But we want to hear God's words of love to our heart, His interest in the little tiny details of our day. When we first came to know Jesus, when Leanne Payne introduced Him to us, we would get with her every day. And the first thing she'd always say to us was, what did God say to you today? And I thought that was the strangest thing ever. I'd never known anybody who said that because it never occurred to me during the day that God was going to be speaking to me. And I sure wasn't making time to listen to Him. But after a while, I knew she was going to ask me, and I kind of wanted to be prepared. So periodically during the day, I'd sit and be quiet, and I'd think, well, Lord, are you speaking to my heart? And if so, how do you speak to me in a way I can understand what you're saying? And that takes some practice. We practice listening to God. After she'd say, what did he say to you today? If you felt like you'd heard anything or had an impression or a feeling. or And you know, the more you started looking for it, the more you were aware he really had been speaking. And then she'd say, now write it in your prayer journal. Well, we didn't know what prayer journal was. We knew what a 
to-do list was, and maybe you could write down appointments and that sort of thing. We said, Lynn, what is a prayer journal? And she'd say, it's where you jot down the things you ask God in prayer and the impressions He gives to you when you wait and listen after you speak to Him. That may seem really simple to a lot of y'all who are listening to this, but for us, it was revolutionary. Some people, prayer is intimidating, and so they don't know how to do it. And my understanding of prayer, it's simply conversation with God. And in a conversation, two people are involved, and one speaks and the other listens, and then the listener speaks, and the first person listens. And that's that's what we're really talking about here in the simplest way. You realize it's dialogue. It's not monologue. It's dialogue. Most of us, I think, spend most of our prayer life in monologue. But anyway, let's talk a little bit about listening today and some of the profound differences it can make in your life. I remember a man I had a prayer appointment with one time. He was very upset because his marriage was in trouble and he wanted to blame his wife. And it was kind of a gripe session for about the first five minutes. (laughs) And finally, I said, why don't you spend a week listening to what God is saying to your heart instead of rehearsing all these complaints about your wife to God? And he was pretty desperate, so he said he would. He lived out of town and he got back to me. He was in awe that he'd heard what God said. And it was about him. It wasn't about his wife at all. It was about what he could be doing, what God wanted to do in his life. It was some exciting things. But the thing that just got me was he said, oh my word, what would have happened to us if I had not been listening? For sure, they would have destroyed a marriage, a family. And so sometimes it can have really drastic implications like that. We want to tell you a story that happened to us many years ago when we were fairly new Christians, and it did have some drastic implications for (laughs) our life. They're not always this drastic, but let us tell you the story because it happened with some kind of interesting um, details. What do you think? This was the late 70s, mm-hmm. probably. Right. Some mm-hmm. of y'all weren't even born then. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, you know, it was a good time. We had just made a commitment of our lives to the Lord, three young boys, and we had started the family tradition of taking our family to Destin, Florida every summer. And we'd try to go for two weeks. Sometimes if we could get away with it, we'd even stay longer. Of course, we loved the beach. We were in northwest Arkansas, and this was a wonderful time to get away from the mountains and go to the beach. You always love what you don't have. But that was our place. And one of the attractions, besides the beautiful beaches and all, was a little church that we loved going to. It was called St. Andrews by the Sea. It wasn't very big, but it was experiencing the renewal of the Holy Spirit in a way we had not really experienced in a church before. We had in our personal lives, but to be a part of this in a church service with other people of like minds and Like I say, this was all so new to us, and we were just always renewed and refreshed after we had worshiped with these people at St. Andrews. So being there for that was as important to Conley and me as being at the beach. But of course, our children loved the sand and the water and all. And so anyway, it was a special time. So on this particular trip to Destin, we want to share with you 
a really awesome way in which God spoke. Yes, and I was still a mechanical contractor, not even ever thinking about going into ministry at the time in our lives that uh, we're talking about. But it was about a two-day trip from northwest Arkansas to Destin because we were driving an RV. It was a, it was a big, bulky vehicle that uh, you couldn't drive real fast, and the roads weren't nearly as well-developed in the late 70s as they are today. And at this particular time in our journey, I was having some discomfort as to what God was calling us to do, calling me to do particularly. And I was driving the RV, and those of you who've ever used one realize the driver kind of sits typically apart from the rest of the family, and Signa and the boys would be back there playing board games or card games or something. And I was a little bit isolated up there in the elevated front seat, which if you wanted to, it was a great time to do some prayer. And for the two days, I thought I was praying, and I realized later I really wasn't praying as much as I was complaining to God. What I was wanting Him to show us was where He wanted us to worship, what congregation did He want us to be a part of. He had put a hunger in our hearts as a family, certainly in mine, that I had not ever experienced before we came to know Him. And part of that was to be with people who loved to worship Him, people who were not embarrassed about their faith, and who liked to talk about Him, the things He was doing in their lives, and what have you. Now, we'd, we'd been in part of some small groups with like-minded people, but we had not yet found a church mm-hmm. that sort of had as their ethos this desire to just follow God and the leading of His Holy Spirit. And we yearned for that. We'd have a leader in the church get right almost up to the precipice, and we thought, we're going to go mm-hmm. there. And then for some reason, they'd back off. And it was we were frustrated. We were. And I was telling God, if He would just lead us to that congregation where the pastor was wanting to bring everybody further into their relationship with Jesus and the activities revolved around that, that that would be what I was looking for. We had recently left one church to join another one, and we had gone from the kind of staid Episcopal church that Signa mentioned us being a part of in previous podcasts to a much less formal, smaller church that was an assembly church, and then there couldn't have been more difference between the activities of our worship between those two congregations than you can imagine. But the issue we were frustrated with was the same in both. It was. <laughs> it really was. And people were different, and people were very nice. You know, we had friends in both, and people received us warmly. But the presence of God that we were looking for, or I was looking for, was not what I had wanted it to be, and I felt like Jesus had put that desire in my heart. That wasn't something I'd dreamed of or read about that I was looking for. It was something He had created. And so I was kind of complaining to Him, Lord, if you're going to put this desire in my heart, surely you're going to lead us to a place in which that desire can be fulfilled. I had no idea He was doing all this complaining, as he puts it, and prayer time up in the driver's seat. But after two days, we arrived at Destin, and we got there on a Saturday night. And, you know, we got moved into our condo, and we made the grocery store run and uh, let the kids run around on the beach for a little bit. But foremost in our mind was we wanted to be in church in this St. Andrew's Church on Sunday morning, which meant we had to get our act together and get up fairly early and 
because that was our priority. So we did it, and it wasn't easy, and we had a little bit of an argument as to who wasn't pulling their weight trying to get to the church. We weren't really late, but we weren't early. Now, the, the building was built maybe to comfortably seat a congregation of 150 people. And in the summer, when all the tourists were in Destin, they would bring in folding chairs and move people around, and they might have 200 or 250 people in there. And not only was the the space crowded, but the air conditioner was built for 150 people. (laughs) It was draining. (laughs) And so it was a a bit of a stretch. We get that day we got there, I think we got the last four empty seats or, or five for the I guess we, I was holding we, one on uh, my lap <laughs> in the, in the back that w- were available. We were all distracted, but we were glad to be there. And I just immediately lost myself in the service and I did not realize that Conley sitting right beside me was having this internal conversation with God the whole time. I was continuing my complaint that I'd been occupied with for the previous two days. And I thought, well, you know, here in this setting, Lord, surely you will speak to me and show me what you would have us to do. Well, we we sat through, it was a long service. I mean, for, you know, most Protestants, I don't know, two and a half hour service is fairly long and kids get restless and all that. So at the end of the sermon, everyone goes up forward to kneel at the altar and take communion, which the priest of the church, his name Sandy Green, he would stand there and hand the bread to each person. Then somebody would come with the chalice afterwards. So we're all kneeling at the altar and Meanwhile, Conley's already had this kind of picture, would you say, on your way to the altar? Well, we were, as I say, sitting in the very back of the church. And as I looked down to the uh, front of the church, now, and uh, those of you who are not familiar with liturgy of an Episcopal church, where many Protestant churches, the prominent piece of architecture is the pulpit, because the sermon is going to be the key element of the service. Well, in many Anglican churches, the uh, prominent furniture is the altar. And there's an altar rail that people go stand or kneel at when they're going to receive communion. As I looked down the, the center aisle, I was sitting right on the aisle, I had this incredibly vivid image of a figure there in a white robe in a Christ-like figure. And he was standing there with his arms extended out like he was inviting me or us to come down there to experience him. And in our theology of the Anglican Church, communion is that time in which you enter into his presence like no other time during the service, and it is a time to receive his body and his blood, not technically, but in in a spiritual way. Now, I've never had that happen before, and I certainly haven't had it since. And I would, looking back, think that I would have been really impressed by that. I wasn't impressed by it because he hadn't answered my question. (laughs) I mean, I, I really should have been much more impressed in retrospect, but as I say, I really wasn't in the best place. All right, I'm going to tell you what I heard as our little family was kneeling at the altar to receive communion. I was, I think, to Conley's right 
and one or two of the boys was beside me. And the priest came by and put the bread in my hand, and he said, The body of Christ, the bread of heaven. Then he went to Conley, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. Then he went to our next son on Conley's other side, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. And then he paused. And I remember it was kind of awkward. And I looked up to see what happened. And he turned back and he was standing right in front of Conley staring at him. And he didn't really know us. I think he might have remembered seeing us there in past summers, but he wouldn't have known our names. Not at all. But he just looked kindly in the eye and he said, Sir, I believe God has given me a word for you. May I share it with you? Well, I had been having this dialogue with Jesus during the entire service, including his sermon, that I couldn't tell you what he had said. But how do you say, no, I don't want to hear what God's given you for me? Because what had come across during the other part of the service was Jesus actually began to impress on my heart some things. And he said, well, this, what is it that you're looking for? And why are you you not receiving it? And as I kind of began to tell him what my concern was, it was obvious that it was revolving around the leadership. And he said, well, you're wanting to go someplace where the pastor is more in line with what you think it should be. Is that right? And I said, yes, that's right. And he said, well, then that means you're going to need to be the pastor. And I said, oh, no, Jesus, that this is not what I'm asking you. I'm a, being a, a good churchgoer, and I'm running a good business, and it's being successful. I've got people working for me that depend on their income from what we're doing through the business. You don't understand, Lord. That's not the question I was asking. Have y'all ever t- said to the Lord, oh, but you don't understand, Lord? <laughs> oh, that's dangerous. <laughs> it really is. And, I, and so he... The Lord had really undone me as I was going down to receive communion. As I said, we were among the last in the very back of the church to go down. I didn't know any of this internal conversation. All I knew was this man, this priest in the church, was standing in front of my husband, and he said, I believe God has given me a word for you. May I share it with you? And I literally could feel Conley tense up beside me. (laughs) It was startling. Yes. And so in in... Basically, what he said was, what you heard in the service today, what God has been saying to you is of him, and it's not of the enemy, and you might need not be afraid. But he said, if you will respond to his invitation, it will fill an emptiness in your life that you'll never find filled in any other way. And with that, he just smiled and turned and went on giving people the communion as he had been before he had upset my whole life with those simple words. Well, at the end of the service, we didn't have a chance to talk about this. It was crowded. We were visiting with some people. We got back to the condo, and our boys, were all they wanted to do was get out on the beach and play, and we had to feed them. And, you know, life happened. But Conley says to me in the car or in the RV on the way back to the condo, he says, Signa, we need to talk. And I'm as shocked at what Sandy had said to him at the altar as he was. So... Anyway, we talked at the first opportunity we got, which was late. 
that afternoon about sunset when we had the opportunity to take a walk by ourselves on the beach. And I gave Signa a much more lengthy account of what I'd been dealing with the last couple of days than I've given you all, and certainly more than what uh, uh, what I'd been experiencing in the church that I've had a chance to share with you all as well. Now, I knew that Signa was going to be my ally. I, arguing with God I'd already learned it is a pretty hopeless task if there's just you. But I figured she would be my ally because I knew that her commitment is greater than mine in terms of our relationship with Jesus, but she did not want to be a pastor's wife. Oh, I told him this many times. I had watched what well-intentioned people in churches had done to the pastor's wives and to the families and how they just like had a, I said, like a target on their back. They often, in our estimate, had unrealistic expectations of the wife and the children, even though they might be fond of the pastor. He was somebody they didn't want to criticize. You didn't criticize your pastor. But the expectations that they might have from his wife were sometimes, we thought, just totally unrealistic. Well, I'd worked too hard in the last few years since we'd really committed our lives to the Lord to, to get whole. That was my primary objective. I wanted to be whole. And I'd worked hard on it. And I thought, there's no way I would ever want to be subjected to the kind of scrutiny that accompanies being a clergy wife. And I mean, I don't, I don't think I'd be a very popular one because I, I'm going to do what God tells me to do and not what they expect. So anyway, Conley knew all that because we'd talked about that before. We had no desire to be in full-time ministry at all, period. But when he said to me, I've been wrestling with this. All of that preceded what Sandy said at the altar. So what do you think? And here's what I thought, and here's what I told him. Now, this is my ally in my (laughs) argument with God that uh, I was counting heavily upon. I said, let's go back upstairs to the condo because I want to show you something in my journal. Now, I've, like I say, I've kept a journal for a long, long time and had been fairly disciplined about writing down impressions that God gave me. Three years to the day, almost, of when this happened in Destin, we had been at Destin again with our family in the same condo, as mm-hmm. a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And had a great vacation, and that three-year vacation before, I had stayed up late one night working on some needlepoint, and Conley and the children were asleep, and I was just enjoying the peace and the quiet and not really praying, but it was quiet. No TV, no music or anything. I was just working on my needlepoint. And I knew that I knew that I knew that God spoke to me because there was such a deep, strong impression in my heart with these words, you are going to be a pastor's wife. And I was shocked. And I just thought, where'd that come from? That's crazy. And I thought, okay, I'm going to finish this row of needlepoint, then I'm going to go to bed. And I kept hearing it. And it was just resonating throughout my soul. You're going to be a pastor's wife. You're going to be a pastor's wife. Well, because I'd been pretty disciplined about keeping this prayer journal, I wrote that down, dated it, put it where we were, and I went to sleep so restless because I interpreted that word (laughs) that something was going to happen to Conley, that he was going to die, and I would remarry and marry a pastor. And I mean, it was so out of the question 
that Conley would ever be a pastor. I just knew it had to mean something was going to happen to him. I was an engineer and a mechanical contractor, not a pastor. (laughs) So that's kind of, I wasn't going to say a word about this to Conley. I thought, oh my, what if if he kind of wanted to do this? Uh, That's the last thing I wanted. So I kept it to myself. And I kept thinking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, pondering things in her heart, things that might have been just too difficult to understand. And you're not going to tell anybody, but you ponder them in your heart. Well, I did that for three years. Well, as soon as he said all this to me on the beach that night, three years later, I just knew I can't tell him this. He has to see it written in my handwriting. So I found my journal and went back three years before the date. And I just let him read it. And it was like, it was like a wave of Holy Spirit presence washed over both of us at the same moment as we looked at those words that changed everything. It changed the desire of our hearts from something we never wanted to do to something we wanted to do with everything in us. It seemed impossible. In fact, it took four years. It didn't just happen suddenly. It took four years to get disentangled from business, to get approved to go to seminary, to make all these arrangements. But it came about just like Habakkuk prophesied, just write it down, write it plainly. It couldn't be more plain. (laughs) You're going to be a pastor's wife. So that whoever reads it later can then run with it. And that's that's kind of our story of how we got into full-time ministry. And at the time Conley was ordained, I wanted to do this as much as he did. And I will tell you, in case you're wondering, I did not compromise in any way the healing God had done in my life. And we were blessed to be part of congregations who allowed me to be real, a real person, and not someone they tried to form in their image of what a pastor's wife should be like. My response to looking at the journal was, Lord, I should have known I couldn't argue with you. (laughs) You had planned this through. Three years before, you knew that Cigna needed some time to get used to it, just like I did. And so you've been planning this all along. Well, that's kind of a spectacular, life-changing story. But let me tell you another one, a story about honoring, cherishing, writing down God's Word that just was a confirmation for somebody else. And that can be really important as well. And this one was a vivid dream that I had. And, you know, if you if you ever have a dream that you just wake up and it's so real and you think this it's absurd, there's no way this could make sense. But, oh, my goodness, my heart's pounding. And you just know that it carried some weight. And I will always attribute it to God. God, you show me what this is. So in this dream, there was a closet in our bathroom with shelves and instead of hangers, shelves. And on these shelves, there were eight babies wrapped in little swaddling blankets lying in a row, four on one shelf and four on the other. And when I woke up, that dream was as real as almost wanted to go in the bathroom and look on the shelves and see if there were really babies in there. It was so real. And I thought, why eight? And I thought, babies? Well, we have seven grandchildren. We don't have eight grandchildren. Would they be my grandchildren? And, you know, I'm trying to make the math work. It doesn't seem to work at all. And all of a sudden, I started laughing because I thought our oldest son is going to have a baby. Now, he was almost 50 years old 
at the time. And he'd always said he didn't want children. He said, he would say the funniest thing. He'd say, I have no need to reproduce myself. And he meant it as a joke. It wasn't meant to be an ugly thing, but he just wasn't interested at all in having a child. But I wrote that in my prayer journal. And two years later, we get the call from them. They live out of state that of all things, they're expecting a baby their first baby. And my first thought went back to that dream. I knew that God knew he had it in his heart. Nothing surprises our God. It can shock us, but nothing surprises God. So I said, well, I'm going to fax you a page of my journal. I didn't tell him about it. I just said, I'm going to fax this to you. And I did. And all it said was eight babies in a row, Rick and Lisa will have a child. And they really couldn't put into words how that made them feel, except to know God's in this child's conception. And I hope that this grandchild, when he's much, much older, can look back on the truth of that and know how much he was in the heart of God before he was ever conceived in his mother's womb. If that doesn't make you (laughs) believe that scripture, I don't know what would. I hope you get the idea that we're not saying the object is to keep a prayer journal. It's just a vehicle. The object is to listen to God, to hear what He says in whatever language He chooses to speak to you. He may give you a deep impression. He may give you dreams. He may form words in your consciousness that you know didn't come out of your own imagination. There's thousands, infinite, I'm sure, ways God can speak to you through other people, through a certain scripture you read that just comes to life. But just as we've been saying at the end of all of these episodes, expect a miracle. Expect the miracle of God speaking to your heart. And it may be in a way that totally surprises you. But when you hear, even if you're not sure it's for Him, find a spot that's sort of a a sacred place for you, a special notebook or journal where you can write it down and keep it so that When the person who needs to read it has the opportunity to do so, that they can run with it and that lives will be changed. And many times, the person who needs to read it is ourselves. Something may happen to you or to me that God would give you a dream or imprint something on your heart that you say, oh, man, that's something. I'll never forget that. And three months later, you can't remember what it was. But we need to have some record, not of how we remember it, but what God said at the time, not our interpretation of what God said, because sometimes God speaks in a language that we're not familiar with at the time, and later on, it's obvious what God was intending those words to mean to us. And when it's written in black and white in our own handwriting, then it's pretty hard for us to uh, deny that God had spoken to us. I'm going to pray a prayer over you that I've prayed it. Every journey conference we've ever led, um, probably at the beginning of every day, and that is this. Lord Jesus, speak to our hearts, change our lives, and make us whole. Amen, and God bless you all. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Yellow Sofa modern-day miracles. To find out more about the Badish Baz ministry and to connect with them, visit www.signabadishbah.com. The link for that is in the show notes. Special thanks to Daniel Matthews of Rockwell and John Rhodes of Rhodes Recording for producing this podcast. 
You can learn more about them by visiting their links in the show notes. Finally, if you're enjoying this podcast, consider leaving a review and sharing it with a friend. It truly helps.